This is a restless interview. Welcome back to the Restless Podcast, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. And this week, I am your host, Matt, joined by Michael, and we are ripping up our pre-tribulation rapture charts because once again, we are joined by Rob McKenzie. Welcome back to the show, Rob. Thank you. And hey, I, I still have my charts. So All right. those, those, I, great make, those are great wall art. I don't know. Can't also, once they're laminated, they're harder to they're harder to rip. So. All right, all right. I take it back. We will not be destroying any rapture charts on the show today. Uh, Rob, uh, they say in podcasting, every episode is someone's first episode. I know this is your second episode with us, but if someone's just joining us, tell us a little bit about who you are. My name is Rob McKenzie. I am. Uh, and ruling elder at Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Indian Head Park, Illinois, just outside Chicago. And I host, co-host a podcast with my pastor. It's called Theology Simply Profound. We've been going for about five, six years now. And we're part of the Reform Forum. I should have said that on the last time we were together. But it is part of the Reform Forum with myriad of other people that uh, like to come on and talk theology, talk really serious theology. Yeah, those guys are the real deal. This is like yeah, yeah. we're the we here at the Restless uh, podcast are the JV team, and we are proud to if we could well, be the JV team to the Reform Forum. <laughs> so yeah, so I do the podcast, and I'm a ruling elder. I work for University Press as the academic sales manager. And today we're actually here to talk at a little bit greater depth about the book you wrote, identifying the seed, which is about covenant theology and dispensationalism and michael i have not checked with you but i'm going to say it michael and i are going to give away one copy of this book to someone and how how can they win i'm just making it up as i go so we are going to draw a name of someone who shares our show on facebook instagram or twitter and you have to tag us so we know you did it we'll draw we'll do a drawing and we will send you a copy of rob's book that i think will be helpful to you rob is there any kind of um, shameless promotion you'd like our listeners to do and we can offer them a chance to win if they do something for you Boy, i hadn't hadn't thought about this uh absolutely um why well, i do host podcast theology co-host a podcast i gotta make sure i get bob in there he'll he'll just he'll sick us actually he has a big dog that we call the beast if you email reform forum and check them out. Just go on the web and email them and let them know that you listen to this podcast with me as a guest. And we'll send you out uh, a copy of the book. As well as, um, I do actually have a separate study guide wow. that you can also buy. And uh, so I'll get, so to both winners, I'll make sure that, that uh, they get a copy of the book and a study guide as well. Great. We'll make sure we put this in the show notes since I made it up off the top of my head. We'll need to make sure we okay. clearly explain it. So we'll thanks to- for Rob. Okay. I, I, I'm excited for people to get to your book. When I read your book, I'll just, I'll react. It, and, I, and you said this as much as your last episode. So it means you're a clear writer, which is great. It seems like you were trying to defend and teach covenant theology and using kind of dispensationalism as obviously the comparison. And then speak to your reformed friends and give them tools so they can better communicate with uh, the dispensational, their dispensational friends or those in their background. Is that kind of who this book is for? 
yeah, it's, it's, if, if you're a dispensationalist, and I, I've known dispensationalists that have read it and really enjoyed it, still dispensationalists, uh, but they did enjoy the book. It's, uh, I want them to understand what covenant theology is. And then for uh, covenant people, I want them to understand what dispensationalism is. What I really want to do is help people understand each other. There's a lot of misunderstanding. I don't want that to get in the way of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ being able to um, fellowship together. And if I think we should be able to have conversations and uh, actually discuss things without, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let, let's talk about these things, but not do it in a uh, hateful or argumentative way, uh, which often happens. Hmm. Michael, what was your impression of the book? So I grew up in a, uh, in the Evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, and uh, I don't know that the church that I was at was uh, extremely dispensational necessarily. Uh, definitely in the circles, there were others. But I feel like dispensationalism did cast a very uh, heavy shadow upon everything, uh, upon you know how I was taught to understand the scripture and how I was taught to understand prophecy and the end times and all of that. Uh, even while we've been sitting here talking, I've had almost flashbacks of times watching uh, dispensational uh, folks talking about, you know, this new thing that happened in Israel and, and something that was going to come from it. But uh, it's been a long time since I've been in those circles. And so I haven't really interacted uh, with a lot of dispensational thinking. And so it was almost like a walk down memory lane for me. Uh, which was kind of enjoyable. Uh, but I was also really appreciative <laughs> of how you did interact. You did not come in guns blazing. Before we go any further, all right, Rob, you and I get on an elevator. It's a, it's a pretty long elevator. You've got two minutes. Tell me, what is dispensationalism? What's the elevator pitch? <laughs> dispensationalism is a system to interpret the Bible it is broken up in normally in seven dispensations that God has, God has worked differently in the world in seven different time periods. And scripture tells us, gives us a running commentary of what's happening in those time periods. So, so God will work with the people that he's working with differently in different time periods. And so in the garden, he worked with Adam and Eve. They were the people of the dispensation. There are rules given for the dispensation, such as you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are punishments that are incurred if the rules are broken, such as you will surely die. Once the dispensation is broken, the God can, or God could, have wiped out Adam and Eve, but he didn't. So a new dispensation starts. In this case, the new dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. And in that dispensation, there are new rules. Now man will be governed by their conscience. And if mankind does not live according to the truth of the image of God within them in their conscience, then they will be found guilty of breaking the rules of that dispensation. So this carries through all the way through the last dispensation, which is the kingdom, millennial kingdom. And each dispensation will have its own rules. Each dispensation will be broken. And each dispensation will um, eventually lead into something new. Because the last dispensation, once it's broken, 
does not lead into a new dispensation. It leads into the eternal state. All right. Well, oops, we got off at the wrong four. We're going back down. You've got two minutes to pitch me covenant theology. Covenant theology is an understanding of how God works in the world and it has to do with God being the creator. It has got everything to do with God being sovereign over all things. He has created us in his image and he has created us. He created us righteous. We broke that righteousness in the fall of Adam. Adam was our federal head. He represented us. And through that fall, we are all guilty. So therefore, we all have the punishment of death. But God has covenanted with us. And in this covenant of grace, he will save his people. He will save them through the death, burial, and resurrection and the perfect life lived of his son, Christ. That someday Christ will return and all of God's people will be saved. God will not break his covenant. And the only way of salvation is through being part of the covenant of grace. All those who are found outside the covenant of grace are still guilty of breaking what we understand and we call the covenant of works. And unless you stand before God covered in the righteousness of Christ, brought into the covenant of grace, you will have to adhere to the punishment that you incurred through breaking the covenant of works. Okay, that's my two minutes. You're a good one. I hope I'd have longer than that, but... Well, you're an interesting person to ride in an elevator with. That's for sure. I think what really surprised me learning in your book is since my exposure, like Pastor Michael's exposure to dispensationalism was, yeah, was maybe a little bit more watered down primarily through eschatology and probably the nation about the nation of Israel. I did not realize how how deep a level this is, right? Because it's pretty hard for me to understand how the idea of an age of an accountability and the rapture are all from <laughs> one theological system, but it really is, it is an entire way, it is an entire framework. Um, and that's one of the big things I learned in your book about dispensationalism. Hmm. Let's talk about some of the major differences between these two systems. The first one you you highlight, Rob, is hermeneutics, the way... Uh, the Bible is read. What is the what is the hermeneutical disagreement between covenant theology, like yourself, and, and right. dispensationalists? Well, one thing I tried to do in the chapter on um, hermeneutics was I tried to show first of all that we actually have the same starting point. We we all look at the Bible as, as this is from God. This is the Word of God. It, it is not a man made book. It is uh, the Spirit of God. Uh, moved, inspired uh, holy men and women to write his very word and give it to us. We look at the Bible as uh, it is the word of God, so it is therefore inerrant. It is authoritative. It is sufficient for everything that God would have us know in, in life and godliness. Uh, we, we look at the Bible as, uh, um, and this surprises dispensationalists, but Reformed people actually believe we should look at the Bible literally. But we only, the, and so they believe that we look at the Bible literally, but the deviation comes where we're saying we look at the Bible literally, but in the sections that are obviously not meant to be literal 
genre, their poetry or apocalyptic, we don't look at, we don't treat that genre the same as we do history, which is a much more literal understanding. Dispensationalists say, no, you take the Bible word for word, literally every time. And when, uh, and I, I think I use this in, in the book, uh, you look at a dispensationalist and you say, okay, Jesus said, I am a door. So is Jesus a rectangular wooden object with you know handles? And of course, a dispensationalist will say, no, that's when, when language comes out that is obviously metaphoric, then we understand it to be metaphoric. And it's almost a contradiction. In, in what in, they're saying, no, we have to take the Bible literally, and if you don't take it literally, then you're, you're not you're not interpreting it correctly. So you believe in this uh, this uh, this this um, this eternal this kingdom that that isn't a literal thousand years. Well, you see, you're not taking the Bible literally. But then we go back to the Jesus is a door or the the uh, revelation where where John looks upon Jesus and he's what he's he's a lamb who's been slain with crowns and horns. And, oh, is that really how Jesus looks? Well, no, obviously that, that's metaphoric. And so there's this, there's this back and forth with, we, we both want to take the Bible literally. We're willing to say metaphoric language, yes. But when we use it, dispensationalists will, will say, no, 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 you're not taking it literally. And so that kind of, we have to come to the place where we can say, okay, let's go passage by passage. Let's not worry about you, know, you accusing me of, of not taking the Bible literally. Let's just go to the passages. And then we can say, okay, let's interpret this passage. Because actually, we're going to be using a lot of the same rules that when you interpret the Bible, there, there's a cultural setting, there's a historical setting. Um, you know, there's, there's the genre of the passage. Is it poetry? Is it history? Is it, we're all going to be using those. It's really when the interpretations come out and they disagree that all of a sudden it's, well, you're not taking the Bible literally. And it, it's, it's just something they always have in their back pocket. And it's, it, it doesn't become helpful. Yeah, I think, I think you said in the book that the, the big difference is we disagree about where symbols are used. In the, in the Bible. Uh, in the section on hermeneutics, you talked about the differences too in how uh, a dispensationalist will approach prophecy from Old Testament into the New Testament yes. versus looking at Old Testament prophecy through the lens of right. the New Testament. Would you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that, that becomes the, the, the key major difference um, between the two when it comes to interpretation. That the Reformed interpret the Bible where they, they understand that the New Testament is actually using the Old Testament, that the New Testament is interpreting the Old Testament, and the dispensationalists do the opposite, that the Old Testament interprets the New. Now, they, they don't have that category. That's why I was really trying to stick with, with the categories they do have. Uh, but you're absolutely right. This is the major key. Uh, they don't have that category. They, they would never say that. But in practice, that's what they do. And uh, I think I used uh, Hosea. Um, to talk about out of Egypt, I called my son is, is the um, one of the illustrations I give. Where reform perspective, we're saying, uh, yeah, this is this is actually we, we look at this now and this is talking about Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that Hosea wasn't also talking about Israel. And the dispensationalist comes along and he says, well, yeah, okay, that's yeah, that, that's true. 
And they don't, it's, 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 they, they can agree on that. But then when we go to Daniel 70, 70 weeks, which reformed and dispensationalists, we both have a problem with how to really understand that. But we look at it, we, we try to interpret it from what the New Testament is doing through Christ and his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. We're saying, this is where we're seeing um, Messiah's cut off. And they say, no, 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 that that's 70 weeks. So we, we don't look, we have to go back to Daniel. And we have to say, Daniel is saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And so we then take that interpretation from Daniel and we take it to the New Testament. And we make sure that wherever we are, if, if, it's, if it's touching on what's going on in Daniel, that Daniel is predominant. Not the New Testament, not, not what the New Testament people are doing. It's what Daniel was doing. And that's just, that's just backwards. That's so interesting. Yeah, because for me personally, my understanding of prophecy almost completely fell apart when someone just said, just start reading the ways the apostles and Christ and just the New Testament in general uses Old Testament prophecy, right? It just fell apart. Right. So, well, and we'll see this, you know, the, the, the major one um, is Ezekiel's temple. Is You go back to Ezekiel, he's talking about this new temple that's going to come. And he gives all these descriptions about this temple. And we go to the New Testament and we're told, I think very plainly, that Jesus is the new temple. And we are also the new temple. Living stones. And so we look at that and we say, here's the New Testament telling us that this new temple is Christ and all those who are united to him. But a dispensationalist says, no, 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 that can't be because Ezekiel's temple is so detailed. And that prophet, this has to be a literal temple. So we have to put that somewhere in the New Testament. I also just wonder, um, yeah, I, I think we're in general pretty unfamiliar with how apocalyptic language works. It's just not a familiar genre to us, right? It's true. Uh, it's, it's kind of a dead art. So then in your book, you say maybe one of the big watersheds where maybe this is where the two, the two paths diverge is in the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Why, yeah, why, is, just, why is that the place right. where where, yeah, we do share a lot in common, mm -hmm. right? True fall, right? Literal Adam, all, but what's the, what's the big watershed at the Abrahamic covenant that separates these two systems so greatly? Well, and, and that's, I, I'm pretty sure I say this in the book that um, while we have diff differences and disagreements with hermeneutics, there's, it's, it's not, it's actually not hermeneutics, I think, that is the real problem. It's, it's ecclesiology. It's, it's how do we understand the church. And how the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled is, is right, like you were saying, is where we diverge, where in dispensationalism, the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And for covenant theology, you know, we're, we're talking, this is Paul's talking in Galatians. He says, look, the seed is, is, is Christ. And he's talking right there about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And, he's, and he even says, I'm not talking about seeds as in many. I'm talking about seed as one. And oh, by the way, in case you are not following what I'm saying, that one seed is Christ. And so he's right in that passage, he's talking about the Abraham. How is the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled? It's fulfilled in the seed, Christ. Talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how the covenant of grace is fulfilled in Christ. 
And that's when, when Abraham is promised, look, your, your, the, your seed is going to fulfill this, that these blessings are going to come through you. That's talking about the fulfillment of the Abraham covenant, the covenant of grace in Christ. And the dispensationalist looks at that same passage, and they have to say that, that Paul actually means that the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is in the seeds, the many. Because that's because it has to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom with the reconstitution of the nation of Israel. Now Christ is there. He's he's sitting on the throne, he's sitting on David's throne. But that's see again, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant for the dispensationalists is millennial kingdom. Christ is sitting on the throne. Christ is not ruling now. Now this does change with progressive dispensationalism. This is what progressive dispensationalists are trying to fix. They they do understand Christ is reigning now. But but it's a, it's a prelude. It's it's just the beginning stages of the millennial kingdom. That's when he's going to rule in in with authority and power, even though he is ruling now. They they don't they they want to correct that. The 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 hallmark that as dispensationalism updates and changes is two distinct peoples of God. Correct. Yes. The dispensationalism. To be a dispensationalist is you will teach two peoples of God, Israel and the church. And so progressive dispensationalism has, has changed and had been helpful for dispensationalism in that it, it understands when Christ came, he brought the new covenant with him. We, they, new, or progressive dispensationalism will look at that passage in Galatians and say, yep, that seed, is it's the one seed, it is Christ. And But there is coming a time when we'll have the millennial kingdom, when Israel is given the land, which that's another key, is has the land been given? Uh, if the land has not been given, then therefore there must be a future fulfillment because God doesn't break his promises. So there must be a, a millennial kingdom. Israel's given the land. Christ is reigning on the throne. And then when the new heavens and new earth comes, there is uh, an eternal nation of Israel and the church. Can, can you do something uh, for our listeners? Because when it happened in my Bible class, can you just identify the place where the Bible says the land promises were fulfilled? Because oh, when yeah. I heard that in my late 20s, that was the right, you know, the, again, like you said, it's these eschatolo eschatological things that are the last holdout. Mm -hmm. When I heard that, I was like, wait, what? It just... What? It said that. It just, it just And I says, had the same reaction. They were, I, I, all I the words to, came true. So yeah, yep. can you just tell us Wait, that? Jo so, I think it's Joshua 21, 24, I think somewhere right around there. Uh, yep. But there's actually about seven or eight different places within Joshua that I talked about it. Not, right. All the land was given. Not a word that the Lord had spoken had failed. All was given. Everyone, and everyone was given their land, and they took possession of it, and they lived on it. It's like, it's pretty clear. And I must have, I mean, I got through Bible college, the dispensational Bible. I, in my journey to become reformed, and again, I did not want to become reformed, but I must have read through the Bible six or seven times, just cover to cover. And I don't know if it was the third or fourth, you know, and I'd read it before, but this was in my, in my intense journey 
And I must have gone through it two or three times. And then all of a sudden I saw that verse. And it was like, because, because at that time, because I mean, I was looking for it a little bit more. I was almost there. I was almost covenantal. I was ready to go. I didn't want to, but I was ready to be pushed over the head. But it was that land. Because if the land wasn't fulfilled, then God, and God's not going to fulfill it, then, then God lied. But then it, I remember reading, it's just like, well, it's right there. This yeah. is, I, I can't argue away from this. Now, the dispensationalists will say, they'll read those verses and they'll say, well, the, yes, the land's given, but Israel never actually possessed all of it. Uh, and because they didn't possess all of it, there has to be a future fulfillment. The problem is the verse says, not a word of the Lord failed. All was given. All came to pass. But, but you see, and so right there, the dispensationalists is not trying to ignore those verses. They're not trying to uh, disregard them. Yes, I know that's what it says, but it's not saying that. They're, they're saying, no, no, it's more, the promise is more than that. The promise is also that they will have to have that, uh, possess that land. And because they, they didn't uh, uh, wipe out all the Philistines, although that actually does happen a little later, but that's a different question, a different problem. Um, but because the, the Amorites pop up here and there and these people pop up, then they didn't have the land. Uh, they never actually possessed the land. It's like, but the dispensationalist, what happened to taking the Bible literally? Right. Oh, the land was given, not a word of the word failed. It is, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing for me. It, it pushed me over the edge. To be fair to you, the the second half of Joshua is a is a fairly difficult section of scripture to work through, though. Yeah. So hard to remember. <laughs> There's a lot of things I want to talk about. I think we would be remiss if we did not get a little bit into eschatology, because as you say in the book, tribulation is the the tribulation is maybe the area of the most interest. That or the millennial kingdom. So why, why the emphasis on a seven-year period uh, that, that, is, that is coming? Because that's what the Bible says, that there's going to be... Rob, were you pre, I, mid, or post-trib? Oh, always perhaps? pre. Always All right, pre. good. The majority of dispensationalists were pre-mid. The, the mid-trib, uh, you know, a small group of people, and post-trib, I don't know how... There was such a small group of people within dispensationalists and the post-trib. I don't even know how they got there. The mid-trip's funny because the guy that was the main champion for that, his name is Rosenthal, uh, started a Christian theme park in Florida trying to rival, like it was like called Bible Land or something, and it was trying to rival Disneyland. I don't Oh, that think is it so lasted. wonderful. Let's try to find it. I remember when it opened. I, I, I didn't attend. But, uh, Bible I, Land. That's I, great. I can't, yeah. I can't remember the exact name. I think it was called Bible Land. But If anyone but, wants to buy three yeah. tickets to Bible Land... Michael, oh, yeah. Rob, and I will do a yeah. lot. We will podcast live oh, from Bible Land. We Absolutely. will wear GoPros the whole time, and uh, we we will even live stream it uh, from our phones. Interact with people, virtual reality for I, everybody. I would love to do that. I really would. I don't think it exists anymore, but uh, I'll try. If I find, I'll do some research after we're done. I'll try twenty twenty, right? But he was the mid trip guy. Um, yeah, you know that. I mean. From a biblical perspective, a theological perspective, dispensations believe that um, in Daniel's 70 weeks, which are, which are years, 490 years, at 463, 
that there was a cutoff and that that time period needs to go to seven to um, 490. So there's seven years that are missing and the seven years have to happen. And the, the way that those seven years happen is during the millennial kingdom. And first there's the rapture, then the antichrist, the antichrist is revealed. Uh, and the way that he's revealed is he makes a peace treaty with Israel. He makes that treaty with Israel. The, the, the tribulation period starts. Three and a half years into the tribulation period, he breaks that treaty. So that's the, the, it's like the first three and a half years are bad in the tribulation period, but the second three and a half years are really bad. So that's when um, Christians uh, are, are hunted, and that's where you have to uh, have the, that's where you get 666 on your right hand or your forehead, where you can't buy and sell. And you, if you don't have that, um, you're also hunted and put in prison and beheaded. So that's what's happening during the, the uh, tribulation period, lots of other things, the seals and the bowls and all these things. The, um, that's, where, that's when we need the chart. See, that's why we have to have the charts. Then we can open up the charts and we can point to all the different, um, although, my goodness, those charts are, are pretty detailed. And if uh, you, what I grew up watching these movies, um, although even when I was watching them, they were, they were old when I watched them, called uh, Thief in the Night. It, it takes you through the tribulation period. It's a, it is a knockdown 1970s Jesus people, low budget film. It is the kind of film that MST 3000 should be viewing. Uh, and if you don't know what that is, email me. <laughs> uh, they, last I saw all, all four of these movies, uh, and I recently watched them again, uh, were on YouTube for free. Last I saw, I'm not sure. I went looking wow. for them a little bit ago, and I'm not sure if I was able to we find them. We have to them. find those, Matt. We have to do it. Thief I'm in the Night is like, thief just in the night. for everyone who doesn't know, it's like left behind yeah. the, like the original yeah. it is yeah you, know, don't, the, you the don't want none of them none of them newfangled left behind camp, right. you know uh but yeah so we'd watch the people in the movie and and we talked about this earlier about how dispensationalists have this inherent go-to filter they click on the news and as they're watching the news it's being filtered through their eschatology and there might be some reform people that, that do this as well. Um, it's possible. I think it's, you know, there's, there was a guy. 2020 is uh, inviting it in case oh, you're wondering if there's ever 20, been a year I, I, tempting I me. I, <laughs> well, I, I think I, I said uh, on our, on, on my podcast, um, the day after the Cubs won the world series that uh, I didn't, my whole eschatology was totally messed up because <laughs> Growing up as a dispensationalist, I always thought that the Cubs would be in the World Series and it would be, uh, they'd be down by one run. There'd be, you know, two on, bottom of the ninth, two outs, and a slugger up, and the pitch would be thrown, and that's when the rapture would happen. And, <laughs> and you wouldn't and, get to see it. Right. So the Cubs, because, you know, the Cubs winning the World Series was the last sign of the apocalypse. Yep. So when the Cubs won, it was like, well, now what do I do? I mean, the Cubs just won the World Series. I expected the rapture to happen uh, the next day. But, of course, I was reformed, so I, was, I, got, I got to fall back on that. Right. But my mom, will, my mom will call me up um, now. I mean, something will happen. Something major will happen. And she'll go, 
it's really bad. I think the rapture is going to happen. And I'll just have to remind her that, you know, I, she, it's a very dispensational thing to say. Uh, oh, I think we're in the last days because see, for dispensationalists, the, the last days didn't start at the time of Christ. It actually, most of them would say it started uh, when, in 1948, but that's the last days. And so she'd say, that's, oh, I think the last days have started. And I remind her that Paul actually said that they were in the last days then. Mm-hmm. And she'd go, oh, I know, but it's really bad now. And so the rapture is going to happen. I said, well, right, Christ can come back at any moment. Absolutely. I totally believe that. Uh, but, but we don't, we're, Scripture doesn't tell us um, to look for specific signs that once that one sign is fulfilled, Christ returns. We are told to look for specific signs, but they're general. For wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and uh, famines and earthquakes and you know these are reciprocal. These will continue to happen until Christ returns, and we, that's been proven since Christ said it till now. We've had wars and rumors of wars and famines and you know, we we don't look for that you know Israel becoming the nation again, which again. You know, here's here's uh, Louis Bear Schaefer at a chapel service in uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. If this happens, because it was several months before it happened, if this happens, the time of the Gentiles are over. So, so he he would have firmly expected, as soon as Israel became a nation again, that within several years. Well, actually, at that time, it was this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So he expected within 25 years that Christ would return. He 100% expected. Uh, so in your book, you kind of also offer a reformed uh, two-age alternative. Right. Scripture, scripture tells us uh, that in this age that people get married, people buy houses. Um, there's, there's, this is an evil age, we're told. Uh, there's a lot of temporal things that we're told that happen in this age. But in the age to come, it's all eternal. So in the age to come, there, there is no more marriage or giving of marriage. There, there is no more sin. There is no more, uh, you know, getting up in the morning and saying, okay, I need to acquire my house or acquire, you know, that's all temporal. Eternal, what are, what are we told? You live forever. You will be in a perfect body. There will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears, no more. All those things that we look at in this life that are temporary are gone away. Through Christ, by his graciousness, the age to come is breaking into this age now. So we can say, those of us who are in Christ, we have been given eternal life. That, that age-to-come blessing of eternal life has been given to us. That we're told, in fact, that although we are right now living in this world, on this planet, and a couple different continents, we're told that, um, that, that when Christ comes back, that this age goes away and the new age comes in fullness, but today... We're seated in the heavenlies with it. Even though Christ is going to be coming back someday, we're in his presence even now. How, how that works out, I don't know, but scripture is pretty clear on that, that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. 
we're told that we are right now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, I wish I could say that I don't sin, but I do. And yet I'm also told that I'm clothed in his righteousness, that, that my salvation is beyond guaranteed because I'm in the hand of Christ. And although I can, I can get up in the morning and doubt my salvation, I can go to Scripture and be assured that it is not enough. And so we, we see this, this New Testament understanding of this age and the age to come that is our eschatology. Mm-hmm. Although in Reformed faith, we would say eschatology begins Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. But still, we can look at it and say, look, I'm living in this age, but the age to come has already gripped me through my salvation. And I look forward to the return of Christ when the age to come will be permanent and fully throughout the universe. If you are a dispensationalist and you'd like to come on and debate Rob, we'd love to have you. We always tell people we'd love to have him on the show. So <laughs> yes. we want to make it clear. We, uh, do you have a Schofield study Bible? Love to have you here. Yeah, that's about me. Yeah. So we'll hopefully get Rob back. Uh, this has been great, Rob. We, we just want to thank you for the time you've given us. Maybe you can close us out here, Rob. I am a simple man living with two small children in <laughs> lockdown quarantine. What, what is the, what personal comfort or application does covenant theology have just for us? God is in control of all things. And he's regardless of any of the turmoil that the lockdown or anything in 2020 has caused. Uh, God has ordained all of this and we don't understand why God would allow uh, pandemic uh, lockdowns, uh, turmoil. We, we don't understand it because we're not God. But we do understand that we can trust the God who is sovereign and we can trust him fully. And that, that's the comfort that Reformed theology brings. Hey everybody, we hope you enjoyed having Rob join us for two episodes of Restless. Rob's giving to the Restless audience is not done yet. As he mentioned in the show, he is going to give away two copies of his book to two people. And let me make sure you know how you get them. The first one is, Michael and I are going to choose someone from the people who share this show and tag us on social media. Why do you have to tag us? Because otherwise, we won't know you shared it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, or whatever. The second copy will be given to the first person to email mail at reformedforum.org saying that they heard about the Reform Forum from Rob on Restless will be mailed a copy of the book by Rob. Thank you again, Rob, for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All this information is in this show notes about how to do about how to win. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.